This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week with our Zoomer squad when we discuss issues important to the 45-plus crowd. In the case of COVID-19 vaccines, younger Zoomers want to make sure their parents are vaccinated, and older Zoomers need to make sure they are booking and receiving a first dose of one of the approved vaccines. We started our conversation by talking about how the vaccine rollout was going to that point. While filling in for Libby Snymer, I was joined on Monday by Peter Mugridge, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. It's ramping up uh, quite quickly. I think we've we've been critical of you know the information flow being a little uncertain, but there's no doubt that they're speeding up, and I think they're running ahead of uh, forecast. My sister was uh, vaccinated at Sunnybrook uh, yesterday, and they told her that they're going down one tranche younger at a faster rate than they expected, and whether that's because fewer people are signing up or they're just getting it done quicker, but the, the flow is very smooth, uh, and I think that, that we can see uh, continued increases. The problem is going to still be on the supply side. Bill, what do you think the solution here is? Well, we're certainly hearing from our CART members that, you know, for those who can book an appointment, who are able to get it, it's going very smoothly. They're very pleased. The problem is the communication is very much confused. People are concerned about getting to the clinics. Uh, we're offering mass clinics, but those aren't always easily available to uh, to uh, older adults who need transportation and a way to get there. Uh, we see that in some parts of the province, they're, they're doing large drive-in uh, clinics, which certainly could be helpful. But for the most part, uh, the older uh, uh, demographic really need more help in, first of all, understanding being communicated with where and when they can do it, then they need help. Uh, They need help getting there. And there needs to be a clearer plan of how we're going to do that or we're going to miss vaccinating the very uh, part of the uh, at-risk population that we're most concerned about. Uh, I'd like to end on a positive note, and and we hope it comes to fruition, that 3.3 million doses, combined doses of Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca are to arrive in Canada this week. David, that is good news if they all get here. It's great news, and uh, let's hope it keeps up. They've got uh, formidable targets to meet, and if they are meeting them, and um, it, given the fact that the uh, they do seem to be getting the vaccines into the arms quickly, um, we may be we may be getting some real positive momentum. Bill, it is really good news, and hopefully that'll change the fact that currently Canada is thirty second in the country in terms of of getting people va- vaccinated. Only uh, only. Uh, 14 out of 100 people have had even their first 
vaccination and only 1.8% of the country have had both their uh, vaccinations. Uh, 12% have had the first vaccine. So we're really down on the list with, with all kinds of countries that we would expect uh, we could be better than uh, ahead of us on the, the list. So if it is a supply problem, and certainly that's part of it, uh, if the vaccine comes through, uh, this week and next week as it's being promised, maybe we can have more of our people vaccinated at least with that first dose. Right. Peter, I think the worst that we were at was 55th in the world, and Bill just mentioned there were 32nd. So this would certainly improve our ranking if these doses do come through. Yeah, we're moving up in the rankings. That's great. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'd like to echo something Bill said earlier, is is the CARP uh, vaccine summit was an excellent presentation, and uh, it it, uh, it it's really worth a watch, especially the Q and A at the end where um, Dr. Shirley McNeil, I think her name Shirley is from McNeil. Dalhousie, answered some questions that um, all of us have about the vaccine, and it, it's must viewing. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, go to the CARP site and watch it because it's an excellent uh, program. Peter Mugrich. Senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, the province's seven-day rolling average of new COVID cases was more than 2,000 for the first time since January. At the same time, we were being told that Canada would be receiving this week a combined 3.3 million doses of COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. And on the same day, guidance around the AstraZeneca vaccine changed. Members of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization recommended that the AstraZeneca vaccine not be given to anyone under 55 because of increased cases of blood clotting among younger recipients, mostly women in Europe. Prior to that declaration on Monday afternoon, we learned earlier in the day that Prince Edward Island would be discontinuing their AstraZeneca vaccine program for people between the ages of 18 and 29. That's when I was joined by biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant Ryan Imgrund and Dr. Colin Furness infection control epidemiologist and an assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. There's a real divided opinion around the around the vaccine and it's complicated. The the number of blood clotting cases is small compared to the proportion of people who've had the vaccine, but it is the pattern is a little bit concerning. Some governments have said we're not going to use it. Some have said we're going to. Trust, public trust matters a lot. It matters just as much as the vaccine effectiveness. So Prince Edward Island has staked out, uh, they've they staked out their position. It's, it's not the same as many other places, but I, I think I can understand their reasoning. So in terms of feeling confident about getting that shot, what are your thoughts? 
what I would say is if it were offered to me right now, I would accept it. I would feel comfortable doing that. The risks posed by COVID are much more severe, absolutely much more severe. Millions and millions of people have already had this vaccine. Every vaccine, if you, if you, if you give it to enough people, you're going to find some adverse reactions, which mm-hmm. may or may not be related to the vaccine. But I would absolutely do that because the alternative, which is the explosive third wave we're experiencing right now, much worse. Ryan Imgrund is joining us. Uh, he is a biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant. Um, I just want to talk to you, uh, as well as Dr. Furness, about the province's seven-day rolling average of new COVID cases. It's now over 2,000 for the first time since January. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's not overly surprising. We've had a reproductive rate above one, which is how many secondary infections are caused by one primary infection. It's been above one since about halfway through February. Um, around halfway through February, we, we were seeing around 800 to 900 cases per day. So it's not a surprise that when you have a sustained reproductive rate, you've got sustained growth, you're going to see cases go up. And even right now, we're seeing a reproductive rate considerably above one. And if nothing's done, what's going to happen is that we're going to see these cases go up to 3,000 and even 4,000 in no time. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember about three weeks ago that they were talking about, the experts, that a best-case scenario in Ontario for the first week of April would be 2,000 daily cases. A worst-case scenario would be 8,000 daily cases. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So right now we're sitting with a reproductive rate of around 1.1%. Basically, what this means is that we can expect one month from now, if nothing's done for these cases, to double. So where we're standing right now, if nothing changes, we can expect to see around 5,000 cases by the end of April. I also want to get your thoughts before I let you both go about um, a story on the front of the globe today suggesting that if COVID-19 surging third wave overwhelms Ontario's hospitals, doctors could soon be forced to use an emergency triage protocol that includes an online calculator to help decide who gets life-saving care and who does not. Dr. Furness, we know this existed. We've talked about it in previous months here on Fight Back and on Zoomer Radio News. The fact that we are at the very edge of that happening, how big of a concern is that? It is really concerning. I think it's it's always been the boogeyman, our healthcare system getting overwhelmed, and we've managed to get away with it. We have just amazing frontline healthcare workers, and they have gone far beyond what anyone should be expected to do. But this wave, this wave really is pushing us, uh, I think, over that edge. We're already airlifting serious cases out of the GTA. So healthcare is already overwhelmed in some areas. Our capacity to do that is going to be limited. And I think it's the ultimate failure, ultimate failure, if we haven't taken steps to control this such that people are going to be dying needlessly. And I, I really hope that doesn't happen. My conversation on Monday with biostatistician and COVID-19 consultant Ryan Imgrund and Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the third wave strain, what it means and what should be done about it. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We started hearing warnings early in the week from those in the hospital system about the growing strain being felt because of an increase in COVID variant cases in the province's hospital intensive care units. The president of the Ontario Hospital Association expects the province will face a new surge in patient transfers and cancelled surgeries as it deals with the third wave of COVID-19 in the weeks ahead. Anthony Dale says intensive care units across Ontario are seeing younger patients with more severe cases of COVID-19 in their 40s and 50s. While filling in for Libby on Tuesday, I was joined by two experts to discuss the concerning situation, Dr. Steve Flindel, an emergency physician in York Region, and Dr. Kerry Bowman, bioethicist at the University of Toronto. You know, I know the numbers you know, and Dr. Flindel, who's about to speak, I highly imagine is can give us the absolute accuracy on those numbers. So I'm going to defer to him on that one. Okay, excellent. Dr. Flindel. Uh, well, our facility is uh, at over 100% occupancy right now. Uh, and every day, every shift, people are, my colleagues are seeing uh, sick patients coming in requiring admission. And some of them are deteriorating pretty quickly and requiring ICU admission. And there's almost no more left to put them. So what do you do in that situation? Uh, well, they stay in the eMERGE. They occupy eMERGE beds, so it's harder to see new patients coming in. And they try to uh, get the least sick people out of the ICU that they can and uh, open up a space for them. Are you moving them around? We're hearing about patients being airlifted from Toronto to Kingston, for instance. Well, our facility has uh, had... Uh, it's a now two-hospital site, but the second hospital is a uh, COVID relief center. So we've uh, not opened our new hospital, and we've had to send patients to that uh, facility just for the ICU capacity. Do you know, uh, Can you could you say what that magic number is before we start to see, uh, you know, and we will talk about this as well, mm-hmm. uh, the triage online calculator where doctors are trying to weigh which patient has a better case of survival than another? Um, you know what, I don't know offhand the number of ventilators we have in our ICUs across the province. Uh, but once once that hits 100%, uh, where they're all being used in the ICUs, that's when we're going to have to start doing that. Dr. Kerry Bowman, uh, what are your thoughts as we see these numbers climb? We have to be prepared. There's no question. And, you know, the numbers are, I'm not going to say the numbers are variable, but they move a lot. So it's not surprising we don't know the exact numbers right as we're having this conversation. But what's clear is there's a rapidly rising trend. We do have to be prepared. And, you know, I think that's why it's important we talk about the critical care uh, policy that's being introduced um, for Ontario and the ethics of it, you know, in in this conversation. Um, We were all hoping that, you know, wave three would be averted um, or be quite weak because of the vaccine rollout. But it doesn't look like that is going to be the case. And we really absolutely must be prepared. Tell us more. The critical care policy is what we're discussing with the online triage calculator. Yeah. So that's a policy that's been put together by, you know, uh, a team of people, um, the bioethics table um, with consultation to others. And um, it's a policy that, to my knowledge, still has not been formally released. 
Um, it's got multiple indicators, which Dr. Flindel and I can both talk about, but, but really it's looking at if, if there's a massive surge towards uh, critical care beds or a significant surge, who would be able to get those beds and who would get priority and how would that be ranked? It doesn't directly address age. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's actually got a lot of very good indicators with it. I still think there's a significant chance for discrimination with it. And, you know, Jane, one of the really important issues with this is there's a request that the consent, of, that the, um, consent laws of Ontario be, what would the word be, uh, not eliminated, but lifted in relation to this. So, therefore, people could, in theory, decisions could be made about who would receive this treatment independent of the consent of the patient or their family. That is not happening now, and the government of Ontario has not allowed that. But that's an important element for us to discuss, I believe. Dr. Flindel, do you see this happening if uh, the cases continue trending in the wrong way? Well, I, let me be clear. I don't think there's a single physician in the province that wants this to happen. Uh, we're, we're trained and work our whole careers to try to save lives, and it would be um, absolutely heartbreaking for this to have to take place. If, if trends don't improve, though, it, it may be a possibility. And, uh, you know, the, the way things are going right now, there's no clear mandate from the government to try to uh, do anything to lower the infection rates and the spread. And uh, I'm, I'm very concerned that it may actually come to this. Dr. Steve Flindel, an emergency physician in York Region, and Dr. Kerry Bowman, bioethicist at the University of Toronto. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. They may be providing the best example of how to smoothly roll out the COVID-19 vaccine. Last week, the City of Toronto, together with East Toronto Health Partners, launched a mass COVID-19 immunization clinic at Thorncliffe Park, Toronto's fourth such clinic to be opened. The location is strategic because it is within a fast-growing multicultural neighborhood disproportionately impacted by the virus. It's also been part of the effort to get older seniors, the 80-plus group, inoculated against COVID-19. Wolf Klassen is vice president of program support at Michael Guerin Hospital in East York and joined me on Monday when I congratulated him on keeping lineups for the vaccine to a minimum. I think the team that's on site and the planning that we've done to ensure that we have no lineups we recognize that the population that we're serving um, wouldn't do very well standing in long lineups or standing outside. So when we plan the facility, and it's a very large facility, we have over 68,000 square feet available. So when we plan the facility, we took that into account. Uh, one fellow who uh, left the clinic, he joked and said, the only thing I didn't get in there was a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was great. Well, we'll have to add that. You'll have to add it. Um, now, let's talk about how you're reaching people in that neighborhood because you are dealing with cultural and language barriers as well. Yes. So booking for that facility is on the provincial booking system. So uh, everyone is encouraged to use that. As well, we're working with the community organizations that serve Thorncliffe Park. And they're helping us identify seniors who, who might live in the area and may not have access to a computer or may have, have challenges with the English language. So
so we have a number of ways in order that we can bring people to the vaccination sites. And are you seeing a, a strong turnout uh, in terms of, um, I guess, for better ways of phrasing it, a lack of hesitancy, more enthusiasm toward getting the vaccine? Well, we do see the people that are enthusiastic about the vaccine. So I think uh, we've done a fair number of those over 80. Um, when the age group moved down to uh, those over 70, we've seen a number of people as well. When we look ahead into our, our bookings for, for the next week or so, there are still a number of slots available. So I would imagine that the province will be opening up their age band criteria to allow other age groups to come as well. Wolf, about these mobile clinics, very important for people who are immobile. And most of the time, these are older, frail, more frail adults. Yes, great question. So we're working with our family practice uh, partners in reaching out to people that are homebound. And there's also a strategy that's coming forward uh, through the uh, Ontario Health to reach out to people who are receiving home care and are in their home. We've done a, a, a number of uh, mobile outreach for, for seniors in uh, seniors' apartment buildings where we're able to vaccinate all those who are over 70 in the building sort of on the same day. Is this, uh, Mayor Tory was alluding to it earlier today, there was going to be an announcement about um, more of these mobile clinics. Is yours part and parcel of that? Yes, we are part of that process, and, and so we're looking after sort of the East York area and also working with uh, partners in Scarborough as well. So if, if you have an elderly parent who simply cannot be moved, uh, what is the best course of action? I, uh, presumably, you're already dealing with one of these community organizations. Yes, and uh, again, Ontario Health is pulling t- together those that are receiving home care, and they're coming with a strategy uh, that will uh, be able to vaccinate those people right in their homes. Okay, just and one final question here, um, back to the Thorncliff site. In terms of uh, getting a ride to the site, I mean, some people might be living a mile or two away and unable to get that distance without having some sort of transportation. Uh, how, how do you arrange for that? I know the province has arranged for transportation for seniors. I'm I'm not aware of the details in terms of the number to call, but that is available. Wolf Klassen, Vice President of Program Support at Michael Guerin Hospital in East York. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Prior to the Premier's announcement on Thursday about the province-wide shutdown, Anne from York Region called to complain about what she was seeing as too much leniency around reopening. My question primarily relates to what's happening in York Region. Uh, Dr. Kurji seems to be on his own uh, trip there doing uh, things that um, 
uh, don't uh, line up with what other areas or regions are doing. And his, uh, as our numbers continue to climb and their positivity rate continues to go up, and his latest uh, seems to be he'd like to skip over the 60 to 69 age group to vaccinate people in the 40 to 59 age group in the so-called hot zones. And um, I, I, I don't know what the real logic in that is. And um, I guess one hope uh, we might have would be the emergency break here in York Region, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's even up for discussion. Um, it would seem that uh, Dr. Kurji would have to have a conversation with Dr. Williams right. for that to happen, and I think that's quite unlikely that they'll have that discussion, which, I mean, you wonder, why do we even have Dr. Williams in the science table if all the decisions are ultimately appear that they're going to be left up to one individual? Helen in Toronto phoned about the confusion around the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. At first, it was seniors who weren't supposed to receive AstraZeneca uh, because it was showing to, shown to have problems with them. Now it's the people who are younger. Why didn't they get it all straightened out before release? And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Daryl in Toronto, who phoned about the changing guidance on the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. The idea that, you know, whatever they say from, from, from day to day. I mean, I've been trying to tell people also, you know, take the AstraZeneca, get whatever you can as soon as you can. But it's, it's again, it's the flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, whatever statement you make today... I, I find myself following, well, you know, what's going to come up in three or four days. And it's, it just gives the sense that they really don't know what's going on with this particular one. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.